Hey there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Well, hey guys, y'all look fantastic. Y'all look great. I, my family that I was married into, so my wife's family, they're very festive. And so every holiday they go out. And so like the first year that I was like dating my wife and really getting to know her family, like Christmas, I wasn't wearing candy canes all over my body. That was an issue for them. Um, So today I knew what to do. I went to my closet and I said, I'm gonna pick out a pink shirt because it's what I'm supposed to do. And sure enough, my mother-in-law asked me for a picture of my outfit today. And so I was, either, I was able to send it to her and say, are you proud of me? And she was. So yeah, um, y'all look fantastic as well. Um, I'm really excited to give this sermon to you guys. Firstly, because it's the first sermon of our new sermon series called Love One Another, God's Vision for the Church. And so I'm sure if you've read the Bible, you've seen these one another passages dozens of times. And there's dozens of different one another passages, but we're just going to be focusing on three. And so tonight, I'm sure you guess we're going to focus on love one another. So tonight's topic, um, love one another, comes as my wife just read for us from 1 John chapter 4. And John, he's writing to this church that really needs his words. They're struggling with a lot of different things culturally, theologically. A lot of the people he was writing to didn't even believe that Jesus had come as a human, fully human, and also fully God to die. They didn't believe that Jesus was incarnated. A lot of people were struggling with cultural Christianity. It was kind of a mess. And so when he's writing to this church, these are people who really need his word. And I also like to think that when we're reading this word, we're also people who really need his word. So um, just to kind of give you a little bit of context of where we're at, what I want to do for you guys is I want to lay out just a few things. Number one, I want to show you a little bit more about who God is. So I want to show you a little bit more about God's character. I also want to show you what does this mean? So what does this mean to know that God is like this. And then finally, I want to show you guys, what does this mean for you to know that God has these different characters? And so as my wife read, I'm sure that you, one thing that popped out to you in the scripture reading was the phrase, God is love. I'm sure that's not a very, you know, stark comment to hear. I'm sure it's not surprising. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard that before. But we're going to talk about what that means for us, what that means, that God is love. And it's the reason why we're talking about it today. It's Valentine's Day. We're talking all about love. But one thing I really want to highlight today is that it's a lot of fun to have the cuddly bears and to dress in pink and red and to have pink lemonade and candy and to be a little bit, a little bit cheesy. But what we're going to talk about tonight is that God's love, the God who is love, could not be more different than the love that we're all celebrating, that we probably all celebrated all day today. And so I really want to show you that stark contrast between what culture kind of relays and kind of upheaves as love and what God actually is. And so I really want to 
firstly, take you to the very first word in the scripture reading, beloved. Beloved. It comes from the Greek word agape toy. Okay, I'm not trying to throw y'all Greek out at y'all. I'm in Greek four right now, but that by no means means that I could translate for you. Um, I have to do it for homework, but if you put me on the spot, I'd probably have a panic attack. So um, we're just going to start with just one word here. Agape toy. It means beloved. And if you look at this, my, I had to get my Greek teacher to help me with this. If you look at this, it's a passive, it's in, it's in the passive voice. So it's a passive word, which means beloved. It's you are loved. Not we love you, but you are loved already. It's a passive word. Now, this could mean one of two things. I think it means both. It can mean God loves these people, and it could also mean that John loves these people. I think it's a both-and situation. I think John's writing to people that he loves, his church, his brothers and sisters. I also think that it's for people who God loves dearly, the Church of Christ, you guys. And so, one thing that I really want you to know, when I looked up the word beloved, one of the first phrases that popped up on Google was worthy of love. And I want you guys to know, not all of you may feel like you're worthy of love, but from the very first word of this scripture reading tonight, I want to let you know that you are worthy of love. You may not feel it. You may not want to feel it. <laughs> but John... And the Holy Spirit speaking through John wants to desperately tell you that you are worthy of love and that God loves you so very much. And so I hope as we keep um, in this sermon tonight and we keep reading the scripture together that you will truly understand how much God loves you because he does. And so even though we are utterly sinful, even though we have lots of fears, lots of failures, even though we are wrought with flesh, God is so gracious and patient with us. And one amazing thing that we as Christians know is that he did not wait to share these characteristics with us on the cross. God has always been this way. We can see firstly in Exodus chapter 34, God's talking to Moses and God is revealing his character to Moses. And so this is something we can see all the way back to Exodus. The Lord passed before him being Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping that steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So that God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of Israel, the God of David, the triune God of salvation loves you so very much. Those are the type of characteristics he has and he translates those to you. And so I just want you to hold on to that. This didn't start on the cross. This didn't start with the person of Jesus, but God has always been this way. Despite our shortcomings, God loves us so very much. And this is because his love is unconditional. This is big for us to know that our God loves us despite how sinful we are. This is who he is. This is a core definition of who God is. And so I want you guys to know that the God you serve is he loves you unconditionally. It's who, it's who he is. I want you to hold this. Also, 
God, this, I think this is something you need to hear. God doesn't love you because he has to. God doesn't love you because he feels obligated to. God doesn't love you because he feels compelled to or feel like he should. He loves you because he delights in loving you. And one way that we can see this is in Micah chapter 7. This is one of my favorite portions of scripture. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Man, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast them, all of our sins, into the depths of the sea. That's poetry. I mean, I, I mean, tattoo that on your face. I mean, I mean that, that's good stuff. God delights in loving you. It's something that you need to know. It's something, it's a core value of who God is. And it's a core value that God wants you to know about him. It's that God delights in loving you. And so I'm not trying to be cheesy here. I'm not trying to rub this in real deep. But, but I, I am just trying to hopefully get you to imagine and just ponder and meditate on the fact that you have the opportunity to love and to serve a God who doesn't have to love you, but does anyway, and he delights in doing that. He delights in loving you. I I want you to, to really think about that, and I want you to really store that up in your heart and etch that on your heart because it's 100% true. God doesn't have to love you, but he does anyway. So starting in verse seven in 1 John 4, where we're reading tonight, it says, beloved, again, that word beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into this world so that we might live through him. So again, we talked about that statement that shouldn't be surprising to most people. God is love. But one thing I want to, I just want to kind of stretch that statement out a little bit more. God isn't just loving in nature, but he is love itself. He is not just a God who loves, but he is the love. Again, this is a core aspect of who he is. This is the God that you can serve. A God who delights in loving you. A God that loves you unconditionally. A God that is love itself. So what does this mean for us as professing Christians? Okay, logically, if God is love, and if we separate ourselves from loving others, if we don't practice love, we are, in a sense, separating ourselves from God, right? Because God is love, so if we're not loving, we are separating ourselves from God, But even though we create those separations by our own sin, 
even though we create those separations, those chasms between us and who God is, he loves us so much that his love was made manifest among us. This would be a fantastic Christmas sermon. His love would be manifest among us. Jesus came. Jesus became incarnate, human for us. This is what John was trying to say to this church is that God is not just some kind of transcendent being that has no relation to us. God sent his son to bear our burdens and to experience life and trials and tribulations for us, die for us. The God of love became incarnate for us. He doesn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that, but he did. I think growing up in the church or even hearing other people talk about it, you can kind of come becoming like entitled a little bit because you're like, well, I've always known this is true. It'll always be that way. I, the, it'll always be that way. I'll just, I, I, can, I can just take it or leave it. It'll be the same way in 10 years. Uh, and we can kind of take it for granted. We can kind of take, become entitled. But this, this doesn't make any logical sense. A God who doesn't have to, is all powerful, who doesn't need us, made us, and then sent his only son to die for us, even though we are utterly sinful and he is not. It doesn't make any sense, but it, it's just out of his pure love that he did that for us. It should drive all of you to just praise and action to love others. So we also see verse 10 moving forward. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we have loved God, not by anything that we have done, not by anything that we have mustered up, any strength that we have put out. Because let me tell you, man, we, us, we are in the habit of loving the wrong things. We are in the habit of not choosing God and choosing ourselves. We are all very good at choosing things that we feel like fill us up in the moment that aren't lasting. And we don't choose God, not by anything that we have done. Two things that I wanna make you guys aware of that are rampant today, but were also a huge problem back in the day when John was writing to this church these are just two issues of loving the wrong thing. So there's many more, but two examples that I want to make you guys aware of is pride, which is the love of self, and lust, which is the love of sexual immorality. And so these two huge sins that I, that I doubt no one has ever dealt with are both rooted in loving the wrong thing. Pride, loving yourself over, over God and loving the things of yourself over God. And sexual immorality, loving, I mean, lust, loving sexual immorality. And so these are just two things, but 
we, we're, we're in a habit of loving the wrong things. We're in the habit of constantly choosing ourselves over God. And when those become a habit, when those sins that are rooted in the wrong types of love become a habit, they become defeating and they kind of tear you down, kind of rip your confidence to shreds. I know they do to me. But we see this word, propitiation. That word can also mean atonement or appeasement. Because of Christ, who is the atoning sacrifice, who is the propitiation for our sins, we have been made right with God. We have been made righteous before a holy God. Remember, when we aren't loving, we're creating that separation, and God is in Christ filling in the gap. We have been made right before a holy, holy God because he is the propitiation for our sins. This is not a small thing. So one way that I would love to enlighten or illumine this word for you is by the lovely, holy work of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, who all has read the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe? Good, okay. Your parents taught you correctly, okay. Um, just to kind of set you guys up of where we're at in the story, or if you haven't read or seen the movie, I'll catch you guys up. So in chapter 13 of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we see Edmund, who he's just a problem child, bless his heart. But we all are. We all, none of us are without sin, so we can't be shooting, we can't be shooting shots at Edmund. He has been a traitor to Narnia. He has been a traitor to Aslan, the great lion Aslan, who's kind of the, the Christ character for C.S. Lewis in this, in this book. He has been a traitor to Aslan and he has chosen the white witch. And so in this, they, they call it the deep magic, the deep law before all time. They, the, they said the emperor wrote this law in stone that any traitor is the witches. It's the witch's property. If you are a traitor, you are the witches. And the witch has an opportunity, the white witch, she has an opportunity to make a kill. A kill has to be made in order to make that amends for a traitor. And so Aslan and the witch, are, they're talking about it and Aslan's trying to help Edmund. And it becomes very apparent when you read the book that blood has to be spilled. That we cannot nullify this situation without blood being spilled. It, it, it's, it has to happen. And so Aslan, he comes to the decision that he's going to have to go in Edmund's place. And so he goes in Edmund's place and he's killed. And so in the very next chapter, Lucy and Susan, they go up to the hill to see Aslan to visit Aslan because they know he's been killed, but they don't find him there. They find him risen. And he comes up to them and they're in shock. They're like, what's happening? What's going on? We saw you die. I don't know what's happening right now. And he says this to them. This is what he has to say. Though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. 
Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked back a little further into the stillness and darkness before time, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Isn't that beautiful? When a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed, death itself would start working backwards. God in Christ had committed no sin. Jesus had done no wrong, but yet he died on the cross anyway. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Before time began, God knew that he was going to send his son to die for you. That's crazy. Makes no sense. It's so countercultural to the way we treat love today. It's so beautiful, though. The beauty of that reality. This, this, is, this is fiction but it portrays a reality that is true. This is true for you. It's good to talk about Narnia and C.S. Lewis did a great work and my childhood was made better because of it, but we're talking about real gospel right now. This is true. This isn't just a fun topic or something that makes singing songs more fun. This, This is your life. He died for you. He died for you. And the cross, the cross of Christ is hellish. It's brutal. Did you know, I did not know this until about a week ago, that when people were hung on a cross, sometimes they hung there for weeks before they actually died. Weeks. The cross was embarrassing to the, to the culture and antiquity. It was embarrassing People did not want to be associated with crucifixion or people who were associated with the cross. It's embarrassing. But there is where God's ultimate love for us shone because God's sacrificial love for us is found on the cross of Christ. That's where it is. And so knowing this, Again, knowing that this is 100% true, it should change who you are. It should change everything about you. You're looking at life from a brand new lens because now you know that God has loved you so very much that he died for you. Can you imagine if we love people this way? I'm not talking about a Hannah Montana Valentine with the perfume sprayed on it saying rock on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real, sacrificial, selfless love. Could you imagine if you started loving this way, what would happen? Showing people kindness, being gracious to people, 
what people would say. It's so countercultural, like I've said. People are going to start asking you questions. People are going to say, why are you treating me this way? Why are you so joyful? Why are you so selfless? That's a perfect opportunity for you to say. It's because even though I am full of sin, my God became sin for me. And he loves me so very much. And he loves you too. It changes every fabric of who you are. It changes the scene of this world. And so I mentioned the Hannah Montana Valentine's card. We, uh, we, we talk about different kind of cultural ways to think about love. Valentine's Day is so much fun. It's so much fun. We've had a blast this week preparing for today. Another thing that we can kind of think of when we're thinking of Valentine's season, Valentine's Day is romantic comedies. And I am just going to out myself. I love a rom-com especially the 90s. Now, these ones coming out nowadays, I don't really know. But the 90s, some Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, every day of the week, every day of the week. It's so, it's so good. It's just, it's just good. One of my favorite rom-coms is called Serendipity. Can you get this on the screen? Who has seen Serendipity? It's so good. Okay, so... Just to kind of show you guys what this is about, we have Jack and Sarah, okay, who don't know each other's names at this point. They just met each other, okay, and they've really hit it off, okay? They've really hit it off, but the kicker is they're both involved with other people, and so they're like, man, this, is, this just isn't the time. I know that we're really hitting it off here, but this just is not the time. And Sarah, she really believes in fate. She really believes in destiny. So she's like, you know what? If we're supposed to meet again, We'll find each other. And he's like, how? And she's like, I'll show you how. So she takes that book and she writes her name. Again, he doesn't know her name. He writes her name and number in the book. And so he's like, well, how can you find me? And she's like, give me a $5 bill. She writes, he writes his name on the $5 bill. And so it's really cool because every time she is paying for anything or exchanging money. She's always looking at a $5 bill trying to find his name. And anytime he walks by a bookstore, he's always looking for that book because she sold it to a used bookstore. So she's, he's always looking for that book, trying to find that title and trying to find her name. So this is really embarrassing. <laughs> um, Sydney and I are not super, you know, well off. Like we're both in seminary. So we're living on love right now, love. <laughs> And so I was like, you know, I, and Sydney's not a gift person. My wife is not a gift person. So she's always style over substance. She's always like quality over quantity, okay? So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna buy her that book, okay? That title, and I'm gonna write my name and number in it, and I'm gonna give it to her, okay? 15 bucks, little professor had it, perfect. So I want her, she's my test dummy for sermons, okay? And so I'm like, I'm talking about serendipity in the sermon. I'm talking about your gift in the sermon. Can I give you your gift early? She said, amazing, yeah. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I went and got the present. I'm so excited. I, I bought this book a month ago. I'm, I'm like really excited. I put it in front of her and I'm like, ah! <laughs> and I'm so excited for her to open it because she's all about the thought. 
And I'm like, I've put so much thought into this. Okay, so the book is called, I don't know if you can see it. The book is called Love in the Time of Cholera. Okay, Love in the Time of Cholera. Okay, she opens the book and she, she opens it and she's like, hmm, um, wow. Um, <laughs> life in the Time of Cholera. <laughs> and I said, Okay, well, I, I didn't say anything actually. I'm just kind of looking at her. And I'm like, when she opens it and she sees my name and number, she'll figure it out. And then it'll all come to her. And then, so I'm still like, open it, open it. And so she opens it and she's like, oh, you wrote your phone number in here. <laughs> um, I have your phone number. <laughs> um, and I, I was like, it's the book from Serendipity. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, oh, this is so nice. And I'm like, I'll try again next year. Um, so my gift today flopped. Jacob actually came up to me today and was like, what did you get for Cindy get, get for, for Valentine's Day? And I said, you'll hear about it. Um, <laughs> due time, due time. But anyway, what I want to convey from this message is that this cheesy, rom-com, destiny-driven love, self-serving love, could not be more opposite from the way that God operates. If you have watched any rom-coms, they're all rooted in kind of the same desire and it's very self-serving. We're gonna stay together as long as our passions align. We're gonna stay together as long as we both want the same things. We're gonna stay together as long as you treat me right. You know, if if those things don't happen, we gotta split up and then it's really sad. The violin, sad music plays and then they get back together, you know. But anyway, that's not how God operates at all. Could not be more different. God's love is selfless. It's sacrificial. It's holy it's perfect, and it's for you. We keep reading in verse 11, beloved, again, that word beloved, and I want to tell you again, you're worthy of love. Because right here we read that the church of Christ is called beloved. You're worthy of love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Simply put, God loves us so we can love others. If God loves us, how much more can we be kind and gracious and loving and selfless and patient with others because God is every single one of those things for us. Again, this is supposed to drive you to love others well, drive you to action. Again, we've talked a lot about who God is, but now we're talking about how This translates to us. What does this mean for us? This means that we should love others the same way. The Bible says that God's love is perfected in us. You saw that in verse 12. God's love is perfected in us. 
I encourage you to live in this reality. I encourage you to actually read those words. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Read those words, listen to those words, and actually live a life that proves that you believe that. God's love is perfected in you. Look at your sinful self in the mirror and tell yourself that. God's love is perfected in me. It's crazy. I I mean, it's just like, it's so different than any type of love we could ever encounter. And so before I go any further, I want to ask you a very simple question. Do you believe any of this? Do you actually believe this? It's nice to like come to church and it's nice to sing the songs and it's nice to read your Bible and pray. But do you actually believe this? Do you actually believe that God loves you so much that he died for you and that now based off of that, you can love others the same way and that it changes who you are and then it gives you a new reality that is eternal. Do you believe that? I encourage you to, to lean into that and to truly hold on to the truth that is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus that loves you so much. Because if you do, if you do believe that, that's not only true for you today, but this truth will hold on to you for eternity. This mercy, this grace that we're talking about, it's, it's felt, you know, it, it's, it, you can feel God's love for you. It's real. It's forever. And one thing that we can really, as a Christian, this, this doesn't just change everything about what we do, but it also changes the way we read the Bible. When we read the Bible now, knowing that Christ has died for us, knowing that God's sacrificial love for us is found on the cross of Christ, it changes the way we read scripture. So just one example for this that I can give you of how this changes the way you read the Bible. Isaiah, for example, in chapter 64 He was really pleading to God for mercy. He was craving mercy. He really wanted to feel God's presence. And he says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. (laughs) Rend the heavens basically means like he wanted God to take the heavens and pull them back like a curtain. He wanted God to pull the heavens back like a curtain and he wanted God to come down to earth to feel his presence. When you read that in the middle of a large book like Isaiah and you read a verse like that, the first thing I want you to ask yourself is, who would have ever guessed that God would have done that on a cross? Who would have ever guessed that God would have rent the heavens, pulled them back, and he would have came down and died on an embarrassing crucifixion cross? It changes the way we read the Bible. Our present reality is something that the prophets longed for. They craved. They wanted so bad. 
And we, that's our reality. If this notion doesn't drive you to want to go out and love others better and love others more, I don't know what will. Because if you read further in chapter four of First John, you see this verse. We love because he first loved us. This is our mantra. This should be our theme song. This is what you should tattoo on your face. We love God because he first loved us. Again, fantastic portion of scripture to memorize. You want to impress somebody? You can say, I memorized the whole verse today. We love because he first loved us, period. (laughs) Again, this is going to change your life. And why does it change your life? It's because it gives it meaning. It gives your life meaning. Who is God? He's an unconditionally loving, delighted, self-sacrificing God. What does this mean? It means that all this has happened for us. And what does that mean for us? It means that we have been made right with God through Christ and now we can love others. God's love is not something, again, that we see firstly on the crucifixion cross of Christ. And it's not something that has ended, but it is a core aspect of who he is. He is love. And so again, when you're reading your Bible, I want you to see the common thread of love that is woven throughout all of scripture. And when you see it, it's wrapped up like a beautiful bow. Who prompted God to clothe Adam and Eve? What prompted God to clothe Adam and Eve? Love. What prompted God to set the people free in Egypt? Love. What prompted God to promise us an eternal life? Love. What prompted God to illumine the minds of the prophets and to promise an eternal king? Love. And when you see it all together, it's wrapped up like an incredible, beautiful bow. And it is the word of God to us. And it's all shown in the light of the love of Christ. It's beautiful. Um, also, if this doesn't want you to just go home and read Isaiah, I mean, come on. It, it, hard books of the Bible that we haven't really understood before, looking at them through the lens of Christ, I mean, it, it puts a whole new perspective on what we're even reading. And so I proclaim this to you today to truly rest in the love God has shown for you and then to in return emulate that love towards others. Simply put, live like you are loved. Live like you are loved. And so going into 120 seconds where we take two minutes to kind of reflect on what is God saying to me through this word and what can I do about it, I want to leave you with Matthew 22. This is the greatest commandment coming from the mouth of our Savior. I'm going to read this for you. I want you to meditate on this. I'm going to pray. And then I want you to commune with God and really see what he wants you to do about this. Teacher, Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he being Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Dear God, we come before you today humbled and thankful because you love us so very much. Could, could not be more different than the cheesy rom-coms we see and what so many of us celebrate on Valentine's Day. But it is a self-sacrificing, selfless, completely holy and perfect love. Lord, I pray that this word is etched on these people's hearts and that it drive them to want to love others more. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you're interested in the songs that we sing, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. We'll see you next week.